0: John 5, we will be looking at verses 25 to 29. This is the word of Almighty God. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Pray with me, friends. Lord, here we stand under your word. God willing to submit to you in all you command, in all you proclaim, in all you call us to believe, and in all you call us to do, and in all you call us to be. And we confess to you, Lord, we are sinners. We need grace. We need Jesus. We need mercy. We cannot, we cannot make it on our own. And that we would be able to sing with joy and truth, He will hold me fast. God, that's our hope right now, that Jesus will hold us fast. In the middle of our hardships and struggles and ugliness of the life that we live sometimes in the world that we're in, Lord Jesus, hold us fast. God, now bless us as we study and make us faithful to you and your word. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. So, sometimes you'll see little phrases on bumper stickers or t-shirts, and I would suggest to you that most of them are pretty useless, pretty silly, but every once in a while, you'll see one written, and it's a short statement, it's a pithy statement, but it has a profound and right meaning. Let me give you one. You may have seen it before. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. What do you think? You guys like that one? You can make it on a t-shirt if you want. I want you to remember, Jesus has pointed in John to having spiritual life as being born again. Born spiritually into the family of God. And that little bumper sticker phrase I just gave you tells us that if you are born twice, meaning if you have physical and spiritual birth, you only die one time. Your body may die, that's true. But your soul will not experience eternal death. But for the one who has only been born physically and who never experiences spiritual birth by grace through faith in Christ, that person will die twice. He'll die once physically, as all people do, and he'll die spiritually, facing what the Bible calls the second death. That's hell itself forever. We're going to learn something about this today. In our last look at the words of Jesus, he declared his deity, that he is God, and he showed it to us in no uncertain terms. And in the last verse before our section of study for today, Jesus made sure that his people knew that if they want life with God, they got to come through him. John five twenty four. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Imagine the depth of that claim. To hear and believe Jesus is to hear and believe God. To trust Jesus is to trust God. To have faith in Jesus will grant you eternal life. The one who trusts in Jesus has gone from death in sin to life in the grace of God. So as we pick up our look at Jesus' discourse here, this is the the discourse on Jesus as the Son of God. We're going to see Him take us further into the topics that we just opened in verse 24. Jesus will point us to salvation in Him, We're going to be reminded of the fact that Jesus is the ultimate and final judge. We're going to see that Jesus has power over life, death, and even resurrection. And we'll be confronted with the facts of final judgment under the rule of Jesus. As we unpack verses 25 to 29, let's find four points. The first of which I will tell you is the key point for today. In fact, I I kind of changed the sermon title at one point, and this is it. Point number one, hear Jesus and live. Hear Jesus and live. Look at verse 25. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is the third time in this discourse that Jesus has given us a double truly. This thought is important. Don't miss it. That's what Jesus is telling you. And Jesus says, and this feels weird. See if this sounds weird to you. An hour is coming and is now here. Does that feel strange to you? How does that work? Jesus refers to an hour, a a moment when the dead will come to life. This hour somehow is both yet to come and it's now here which should tell you that it occurs in different ways. The hour that's coming, the one in the future, is the culmination of history when Christ returns. And the hour that is now here, that gives us the current and the near future moment when people will hear the voice of Jesus and they will live. We'll get to that future moment at the end of the passage for today, but for now... Focus with me on the hour that Jesus says not only is coming, but the hour that is now here. It was an hour present in the day of Jesus' ministry, and it's an hour that's present in this very room right now. It's an hour when the dead who hear the voice of Jesus will find life. In order to get what's happening here, you've got to understand two senses of the word dead Think back with me to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God warned Adam that if Adam ate the forbidden fruit, what would happen? You tell me. What's going to happen to Adam if he eats the fruit? He will, he will die. So here's the question. Did he? Ooh, we have a split panel here. We're going to have to... Should we ballot vote this? No. In one sense... The people that said, no, Adam didn't die. That's true, right? He lived for many, many years after he ate that fruit. Yes, God made it clear that human bodies would die and they would decompose because of Adam's sin. The death, the physical death, did not happen the moment Adam bit into the fruit, right? But there's a sense, there's a sense, In which Adam died the very moment he ate the fruit. See, spiritually, that moment Adam experienced death. He experienced, for the first time in human history, separation from God. Adam went from being a person under God's favor to a person deserving the judgment and wrath of God. Now, thankfully, God chose to have mercy on Adam and Eve in the garden. They were physically starting to die the moment they touched the fruit, ate the fruit. And though they were spiritually dead in sins the moment they ate the fruit, God promised Adam and Eve that someone would come to set things right. God also clothed Adam and Eve in animal skins. You remember that? Don't try to wear the, the leaves. That those won't work. But instead, God clothed them in skins, which may very well be the first ever animal blood sacrifice. Because how do you get skins? And this points us to the sacrificial system It points to the fact that God would provide a worthy life that could defeat death. It points to Jesus who would die to save us from eternal spiritual death. In the New Testament, God's very clear. When we're not yet forgiven by Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, we love to use this passage to teach the gospel, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. When a person is separated from God because he's under the wrath of God for his sin, he's dead. He's spiritually disconnected from God. He is unable to respond to God in a way that would please God. He's destined for wrath. He's subject to the guidance, the the trickery, the leading of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if he physically dies while still under that sin, he will be forever dead and he will suffer eternity in hell for sinning against God. When a person is saved by God, he's given new life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 say, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved The concept of having a new spiritual life given to you by God, that's not only in Ephesians. It's not at all foreign to the teaching of Jesus. We've already seen it in John chapter 3. If you go back to John 3, verses 3 through 8, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, really the first of the discourses in this gospel. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Jesus has been clear already in John. All who are under sin need new life from God. And if God doesn't give you that new life, you'll never see the kingdom of God because you sure can't work your way into it. How do we get that new life? We get new life from God by grace through faith in Jesus, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, with all that in mind... Take your brain back to the words of Jesus in verse 25. Jesus said, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The dead today, the spiritually dead, who hear the voice of the Son of God, will live. Listen to me, friends. The voice, the voice of the Son of God is right here in the word of God. Do you realize that? The voice of God in the word of God says to all people everywhere, you must repent of your sins. You must stop trusting in yourself. You must stop trying to be your own master. Instead, you must believe in Jesus and you must cry out to Jesus to have salvation. The voice of the Savior that day was speaking to those religious teachers that were around him. Many didn't hear, many didn't believe, many died in their sins. And today the same voice of the Son of God is calling out in our world and the question is, will you hear Will you believe? Will you be turned away from sin? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you, you got a choice. Will you die as your own master or will you yield to Jesus and live? And I would urge you, hear Jesus and live. And if you have come to Jesus, know that you were dead, know that God made you alive. Know that the voice of the Son of God broke through your dead soul to give you life. Thank Jesus, praise Jesus, worship Jesus, follow Jesus. Now, let's see a few more things Jesus has to say about himself. They're going to continue to show us that Jesus is God. Point number two, Jesus, Son of God, has the power of life. Jesus, Son of God, has the power of life. Verse 26, Jesus says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Why would we believe that hearing the voice of Jesus, the spiritual call of Jesus, why would we believe that believing in Jesus' name Would give us life. Why would you buy that? Here's a reason. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus has life in himself. Thus we should believe that Jesus can give life to us as well. A week ago, I talked with you for a moment about the attribute of God, which we call God's independence. Do you guys remember that? God, as the creator, as the Lord over all, God does not depend on anyone or anything to exist, right? God is not given life by anyone. All that exists that is not God must rely on God to exist. You ever think about the fact that if the entire universe were to stop existing, God would not be affected? But the entire universe cannot exist unless the Lord causes it to exist. Jesus' claim to have life in himself, just as God. Jesus' claim to be independent as only God is independent of creation. That's Jesus claiming to be God. This verse also gives a little insight into the relationships of the persons in the Holy Trinity. Remember, there is only one God. There is only one God. You guys with me so far? This one God eternally subsists in three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father's God, God the Son's God, God the Spirit's God. There is one God. How's that for doctrine? And as it relates to all of creation, we know there's only one God. But as the persons of the Godhead relate to one another, we see that there are words used that show us a distinction between the persons rather than a confusion of the persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is always Father. From eternity past, before anything was ever created, God the Father was still God the Father. And for God the Father to be God the Father, God the Father must eternally be begetting God the Son. For the God the Son, to eternally be God the Son, He must eternally be the Son of, begotten of, God the Father. Because the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must eternally be breathed forth, be proceeding from God the Father and God the Son. And there is only one God. The Father has granted the Son. Look at this language, interestingly. Has granted the Son to have life in Himself. That reminds us, right? For the Father to be the Father, He must be the Father of the Son. He must beget the Son. But since this is a relationship inside the Trinity, the one God, it's not a relationship that has a beginning. There's not a time when the Son wasn't begotten. Doesn't that mess your brain up? There's not a spot where there was a Father and then the Son came out. That wouldn't work. God is eternal. The Father is eternal, the Son's eternal, the Spirit's eternal. For all eternity, the Son is begotten of the Father. The Son is never, ever lower than or less than the Father in any way. Instead, the Son is of the very same substance of the fa- as the Father. Or as our, as our creed often says, He is very God of very God. Now, why do we have to think about that sort of confusing stuff? Well, one, I want to see if you're awake or not. But I also... When you hear that and when you get it starting to dig through, and you can hear this 17, 18, 25, 32 times, and it just digs a little deeper every time. But this is how I can say to you with utter confidence a few things. Jesus is granted by God the Father to have life in himself. Jesus is not in any way less than the Father. Jesus is God as the Father is God calling Jesus begotten, calling Jesus Son of God, what that points out to you is that you're saying Jesus is truly God and not something that's not God. Anything that is not God is not Jesus. That Jesus is granted to have life in himself gives us a tiny glimpse into the mystery of the relationships of the persons of the Godhead. And while that's sort of profound and confusing, it's perfect language to communicate what only the doctrine of the Trinity could communicate. What's all this tell us? If you've glazed over, stop. It tells us Jesus is God. He's God the Son. He is eternally and perfectly God, who in a moment in time took on human flesh And Jesus has life, the independent life of God in himself. And if Jesus is the son of God, and if he has life in himself, Jesus is exactly the one you want to approach if you want life too. Jesus has the power to give physical life. How do we know? You see it in scripture, don't you? When Jesus heals the sick, he's giving physical life. Jesus raises the dead. He's giving physical life. Jesus has the power over life and death. You see that Jesus has the power of life when Jesus rises from the grave after his own crucifixion. Jesus defeated death and he can give physical life after death to everyone who comes to him. But Jesus also has the power of life over spiritual death the death that would separate people from God forever, Jesus has conquered it too. Any person who wants forgiveness of sins and joyful life with God can have it. You must hear the voice of Jesus. They must believe in Jesus. They must ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. They must surrender to Jesus as Lord. What a Savior we have. What a Lord to worship. Jesus is God, God the Son. Hear Jesus and live. Third point, you still with me? Even after the Trinity stuff? I'm so glad. Third point, Jesus, Son of Man, has the authority of judgment. Look at verse 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. God the Father has not only given God the Son life in Himself, God the Father has also given God the Son the right to judge all humanity as the Son of Man. Last week we talked about the fact Jesus will judge all people, and now we're going to come back to the idea. The phrase Son of Man gives you a couple big-time glorious realities. In comparison to verses 25 and 26, Jesus was calling himself Son of God there. Here, Jesus ties himself to humanity. Jesus is truly God, and now that he's taken on flesh, Jesus is also truly man. That's glorious. And in order for Jesus to save the souls of human beings, he had to be human. This is so Jesus could stand in our place. This is so Jesus could be our substitute, our sacrifice. It's also so Jesus can represent us before the Father as our new spiritual head. See, before Adam was the head and the representative of humanity, how do you think that went? Adam's fall led to death for all. Now that Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, has died and risen from the grave, He's the head and the representative for all who come to Him for life. You had to look at Romans 5 to see this spelled out in more detail, but we don't have time to do that this afternoon. And there's more behind calling Jesus Son of Man than simply to say Jesus is a human. In the Old Testament, God promised that the Son of Man would rule. Look at Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. The prophecy reads, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Sounds like a familiar phrase to you? And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Daniel's prophecy, you see the Son of Man And he approaches the throne of God the Father, the Ancient of Days. And God the Father grants that the Son would reign and rule forever. The Son of Man, he's a king and he's going to be king forever. He's a king and he will have all authority over the entire world forever. He's a king who rules over people from every nation and every language and every people group for all eternity. What a radical claim that Jesus is making here. He has said he's son of God. He's claimed to have life in himself just as the father has life in himself. And now he claims to be the one who has been prophesied to rule the entire world forever. Jesus is God and Jesus is son of man. And Jesus is the one who will reign as the king forever. And because Jesus is this one who will reign as king forever, he's the one to whom you and I answer. He's our judge. Let that thought of Jesus as judge help you see why it's vital that we respond rightly to Jesus. To reject Jesus is not to reject one among many ways to God. No, to reject the grace of Jesus, to refuse to bow to Jesus while you're alive, that is to say to the judge, judge, I refuse your grace. It's to say to the Savior, I demand that I pay the price for my sins myself. To reject Jesus is for you to demand that he judge you with the just wrath of God. To come to Jesus and to receive his offered mercy, that is to appeal to a good and loving judge. If you bow to Jesus before you die, asking him to be your savior, you have the joyful confidence of knowing that one who rescued you will be the one who judges you. Jesus is going to look at your life if you've come to him and he will declare you to be a child of God because he's the one who made you a child of God. He'll declare you forgiven because he himself died to purchase your pardon. He'll declare you righteous before God because he gave his righteousness to you as a gift. As we've said, and I'll say it again, hear Jesus and live. Now, before we wrap up, let's go a little deeper into the concept of Jesus as the judge. And we'll learn more about this as we see Two resurrections. Point number four. Jesus will call all the dead out of their graves. Jesus will call all the dead out of their graves. Verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now we learn about what Jesus called the hour that is coming. The hour that is here is the hour when you can hear the voice of Jesus repent, believe, and receive spiritual life from God. The dead live. But the hour that's coming in these two verses... That's coming someday in the future. And Jesus tells us three really important things. Jesus will call all the dead out of their graves. Some are raised to life. Some are raised to death. Understand, whenever any person dies, He or she is either immediately comforted in the presence of the Lord or suffering under the just wrath of God for sinning against Him. There's no middle place. There is no purgatory. Those who have died are conscious and they are aware of where they are and they know exactly why. Read Luke 6, 19-31 for an example. Those who are under the mercy of God are experiencing a sort of heaven right now. Joy and comfort and peace and rest. Even as they await a day when they will be given resurrection bodies and they will experience the final glorious heaven when they will live with Jesus Christ forever on a new and perfected earth. But those who are currently under the wrath of God for their sin, who have never come to God for mercy, they are presently suffering the torment of hell as they await a final day when Jesus will pronounce their judgment and will cast them forever into the lake of fire. Jesus said, don't marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. You hear that? Every single person who has ever lived will see a moment in the future when he or she is physically raised from the dead. Nobody dies and stays in the grave. Every single person will come out of the graves by the command and the power of Jesus. Make that personal. Unless Jesus comes back before the day you die, you will die. And whether you have loved Jesus or hated Jesus, Jesus will call you out of your grave. Back in verse 22, Jesus told us, He, God the Son, will be the one who is the judge of all humanity. So when Jesus calls you out of the grave, it is Jesus who is either going to call you out to an eternal reward under His grace or an eternal punishment under the wrath of God. Some will rise from the grave... And find eternal reward. As Jesus said, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Now, be careful because you could let yourself be confused by those words, couldn't you? Anybody see where that could be confusing to somebody if it was all by itself? If those words stood alone, if there was no scripture to shine a light on them, you might let yourself believe that doing good deeds is what earns you the resurrection of life. Do you guys think it's true that being a good person is what earns you the resurrection of life? Thank you, no. Jesus is here giving us a very simple summary. If you come to Jesus by God's grace through faith alone, you're given forgiveness, you're given new life, and in response to being given new life, you will do good deeds in keeping with the command of God for the glory of God. So this is a simple summary. Jesus says, hey, those who have done good are raised to a resurrection of life. They're not raised because they did good, but doing good marked them as people who had new life given them by Christ. On the other hand, Jesus said, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Again, this doesn't mean, man, those people who didn't do enough good deeds, those people that did a lot of bad things, they have a bad eternity because they did worse than other people or whatever. All this is saying is those who never find God's grace in Jesus, they will face a proper, just punishment from God for sinning against God. They will come out of their graves. They will face the judgment seat of Christ, and they'll be judged by God based on their deeds. And if you're judged by God based on your deeds, you will be found to fall short of the glory of God, and then you will be cast into hell forever. The Bible promises us two future moments when the dead are raised. When Jesus comes back, he tells us he's going to call all who have died under the grace of God out of their graves. And on the day Jesus returns, they're going to come out of those graves. They're going to receive brand new resurrection bodies and they will reign with Jesus. Now, the first resurrection I'm talking about here, the resurrection of the righteous, you see it promised in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17. You see it promised in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. You see it promised in the early half of Revelation chapter 20. Look at this, Revelation 24 through 6. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed, Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, those are martyrs, obviously, and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, some revelation talk there. They, all those who are in Christ, they came to life All who rise from the grave at the first resurrection do not face the judgment of God, the second death. All of these have life after death. They have perfect joy in Christ. But the rest of the dead will have a moment of resurrection as well, and we see that in Revelation 2015 or 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away. This one is mighty and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. There are some people brought out of their graves and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. There's that resurrection pointed out again. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These who are raised in that second resurrection are not in Christ. Their names are not found in the book of life. So instead of receiving from God a pronouncement that they are under the mercy of God because of Jesus, they are judged by the deeds that they've done. And no person judged by his own goodness alone can stand before God. These face the second death, the lake of fire, eternal hell. Now, in case you're nervous, our church doesn't require anyone to have the same view of the order of future events. But we will clearly teach the three things that we've heard Jesus say today. Jesus will one day call all people out of their graves. Those who are under his grace will rise to eternal life and joy in Christ. And those who have refused his grace will rise to face the judgment of God for sinning against Him. Some rise to heaven, some rise to hell. All are judged by Jesus. What's the right response to this? Hear Jesus and live. When I say hear Jesus, by the way, I'm not calling you to listen for a mystical voice. I'm not calling you to to try to have some sort of mystical experience in your heart, yes, in your soul, because of the word of God, because of the Holy Spirit of God, feel the call of God to believe in Jesus. Ask Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Believe in him as God the Son, God in flesh, Son of man who can be your salvation. Let go of controlling your life and turn it over to him. Receive his mercy And live to honor Him as you look forward to the joy of a resurrection to life. And if you know that you know Jesus, and I'm guessing most of you do, honor Jesus as God. Follow Jesus with all of your life and look forward to a glorious day, the glorious day, when He brings all of His followers out of the grave to experience a glorious eternity. Let's pray together, dear friends. Lord, I am greatly encouraged to think of the hope that we have in the resurrection. I have to say I'm also greatly, greatly afraid for those who have refused to know you. For those who have refused to follow you. For those who won't trust you. I plead with you, Lord, even now, open people to you through your word, by your spirit, and save souls. For those who do know you, I pray that this message, this truth, would simply call every one of us to live with greater passion and greater commitment to you greater trust in you greater hope in your return greater hope in the forever in front of us greater willingness to obey you as king right now oh god help us hear jesus and help us live that we pray in christ's name amen